Hey there, party people. You are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb James. With me today, one Mr. Ashley Hatter. How are you doing, old sport? Uh, you know, you know, it's, 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 it's all good here in the Midwest. All good in the so hood? It's a, little, it's a little toasty, but it's good. I wish I was toasty. My house is freezing and outside it's just 10 degrees for no reason in March. <laughs> yeah. But last week it was like 50. Tomorrow it's going to be 50. Today it's like 10, 20, whatever. I don't even know. I don't, I try not to go outside anymore. <laughs> catch a case of the death when you go in public these days, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Shun the light. Shun it. Shun it. What the fuck are we talking about? Oh yeah. The catcher in the rye. I brought this to your attention because one, I never read Catcher in the Rye and you hated it. So I figured, hey, <laughs> what better way to punish Ashley for his misdoings in the past by making him reread this book? And no, uh, thanks, brother. our House of Leaves episodes did fairly well and people enjoyed it. So I, uh, I talked to some folks on the old Twitter because when I said, when I mentioned the Catcher in the Rye, there were, and I found it odd, it was mostly women actually praised the book. They really enjoyed it. But then the mm. other half of people, hated it like it was the worst thing ever written so i was like well this seems like something we have to cover then right <laughs> settle this once and for all heck yeah man divisiveness divisive um oh, it's gonna be great um, <laughs> for those uninitiated with mr jd salinger uh the catcher in the rise a story by jd salinger partially published in serial form in 1945 to 1946 i would not want to read this weekly or monthly that that would be extra irritating yeah but it did come out yeah it did come out as a full novel in 1951 which is what we hold in our hands today well you do i I threw mine in the in a heap somewhere um i'm very angry (laughs) that this stupid book cost me ten dollars and if i wanted to get the kindle version it would cost twelve dollars like why can't this be on sale if it came out in 1951 should be like four dollars no joke. Yeah. Catcher in the Rye was originally intended for adults, but is often read by adolescents for its themes of angst and alienation, and as a critique on superficiality in society, it has been translated into almost all of the world's major languages. I would like to read this in, like, Chinese or something. That would probably be interesting. <laughs> uh, right. It's like just bring dishonor on everyone just reading that. Yeah. I'm not going to read this gigantic plot. Let me see if I can find a... A condensed version of this. See what the old Amazon or somebody has to say. Because I, I don't want to read the whole plot out because then I'm going to ruin it for myself. Because maybe it'll be wonderful. I'm 50 pages in, but it might get better. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Maybe around, you know, page 225 or so. Mm-hmm. Does it have that many pages? Oh, 225 is like at the very end, too. So there I, you go. I don't know. I maybe read the book for an hour. If that, and I got to page 50, and half of that was me, like, looking at my phone because I was getting bored. <laughs> I know a lot of people, it's it's an area of contention mentioning, uh, you know, like, white privilege and everything like that. And I don't know where anyone else stands on that. But reading this, like, going back and rereading it, um, I have a feeling I'm gonna I'm just going to be, like, hearing that in my head the entire time. I don't necessarily agree with it in every instance, but it's like, oh my gosh, white privilege. <laughs> yeah, this uh the opening of this book is just about him going to like private school to private school and him just yeah. flunking out pretty much on purpose because he just doesn't want to do the work. So I already uh hate this kid. And the kid talks like I guess kind of like an adult. He doesn't he sounds like the author, I would imagine. I don't know I never listened to interview JD Salinger, but I would imagine like that's what at least the adults at the time sounded like. Well, the 
I would think like greasers or something. Yeah, I don't know. To give you people a brief description of how uh, Holden Caulfield talks with his fucking half gray hair, uh, that was a weird description. <laughs> like half his hair yeah. is gray and he's 16. But he was, uh, God damn it, God damn. I hate every goddamn thing because they're all a bunch of phonies. God damn, damn, got it. I'm like, what? Like every, <laughs> like if we did, because we're talking about doing shots every time he brings up the word phony. But if we did shots every time he said, God damn, we'd be dead. Because it's at least, yeah. I think we're, by page 50, around 100 times he said that word. It's like, come on. Well, you know, I don't know how healthy your, your liver is, but I might. No, there's no way I could survive that. Mm, I, no yeah, I think I, I would be, I would be toast. Oh, good. Got an email. Oh, Whoa, what? I don't know. Oh, yeah, you can't hear that probably. There's a big jingle. Because my. Jingle, jingle. The computer you're on, sir, is hot garbage. It took 20 minutes to start. It took another 20 to restart after the Wi-Fi broke down. Like, Come on. <laughs> There's nothing on that. I removed every program just so I could use it for Skype, and that's it. And it still is fucking shitty. It's, it's pissed at you for abandoning it. Oh, yes, it is. So, The Catcher in the Rye has been described as the brilliant, funny, meaningful novel by The New Yorker. That established J.D. Salinger as the leading voice of American literature. I would, I would say no. Though, you know what? Yeah. 50 pages in i'm getting the, a little bit of a tinge to shoot reagan i don't know if you got that yet but i'm kind of <laughs> <laughs> is that where that came from oh yeah. my gosh well i just kind of want to take reagan out now you know why yeah. he, he was a big phony he's a phony man it's a goddamn phony i still everything's a phony i still can't find the fucking actual plot for the like no when you look up this stupid book Maybe if I went to Goodreads, I'm not finding just a synopsis that tells you what the book's about. It's just about fucking it, how brilliant it is and how it changed the literature. Yeah, it's essentially about the the main character, Holden Caulfield. Holden Caulfield uh, wandering around for a couple days being mad at things. <laughs> and then he that, then that's it. Like there, there really is no plot. It's just like a stream of... It's not even a stream of consciousness. It's just like a stream of angst. It's like emo before emo. Yeah, he already, uh, through the first 50 pages, is just nothing but angry and annoying and whiny and just dislikes things for no real reason. And everybody's a shit heel, but then he's also a shit heel. So why do I care about this character? We'll get into that in the actual yeah. first episode of this uh, when we start drinking, but... Today's just the introduction. <laughs> um, a little bit about... Uh, you're, you're not drinking yet? No, because I drank a fucking horrible amount of wine last <laughs> night and feel like hot garbage today, so I figured I would take it easy. Um, a little oh, about geez. the author. J.D. Salinger was born in New York City on January 1st, 1919, and died in Cornish, New Hampshire on January 27, 2010. I did not realize he lived to be that old. His stories appeared in many magazines, most notably The New Yorker. Between 1951 and 1963, he produced four book-length works of fiction, The Catcher in the Rye, Nine Stories, Franny and Zoe, and Raise High the Roof Bean, Carpenters, and Seymour. And introduction. The books have been embraced and sell... I don't... You know what? I never heard of any other works he's, he's done, and I'm sure they're also not very good. If he was the master of a literature and changing this, you know, the landscape, I think uh, his other works would also be lauded as... Great, but I have not heard anything good about him. 
Well, it's kind of like uh, the the author of Lord of the Flies, William Golding. And everyone only ever talks about Lord of the Flies. He also did like uh, several other novels. The only one I think of right now is Pincher Martin. That uh, yeah, it's like you get it's, it's like as time goes on, you get known for one thing. Kind of like Hemingway is known for the Old Man in the Sea, right? Like everyone knows Old Man in the Sea, but like for whom the bell tolls? It's like who? What? Who? Great Gatsby. Yeah, that's a better example, yeah. Great Gatsby, because yeah. Fitzgerald has a lot of work out, but most people couldn't name it, name any of his stuff other than Great Gatsby. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. You should take some time after this just to read, like, his war story, uh, Salinger's – that's his name, right? Yeah. yeah. J.D. Salinger's uh, war stories, because uh, he got drafted into World War II, and he's, he was essentially a badass. Really? Like, he got to hang out with Hemingway. Yeah, he got to hang out with Hemingway uh, during World War II, and he was like liberating concentration camps and everything. It was like you sound so much cooler in real life than in fiction. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe he wasn't an angsty butthole. Because I get the uh, impression that Holden That's Caulfield like, would just like be a draft dodger or something. He, he doesn't seem like a. I mean, again, I guess he's supposed to be a teenager, but he still he just seems like a punk. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I'll I'll see. Uh, what enlightenment I can achieve upon a reread. I usually uh, can find something in a book that I like, even if it's a shitty book. But so far, I have not. Like when we did House of Leaves, I was at least able to take away things like, you know, how to better write atmosphere and, you know, different mm-hmm. ways to describe, like different descriptors you can use and things like that. When, you know, we just did, uh, me and Spencer did the whole Conan series. I was able to take away a lot of um, ways to keep, like how you could keep the story moving forward and constant action and, um, again, different descriptors and things that I normally wouldn't think of. But with this, I don't see how I'm going to be able to take anything away from it because I don't like the style so far and I don't like the dialogue. And that's pretty much all it is, is dialogue and that, like you said, kind of a almost stream of consciousness thing going on. Yeah, it's it's so much dialogue and like internal monologuing that it's really hard to take too much from it, other than the fact that he has gigantic paragraphs on every page. So yeah, I I don't know. What do you hope to take away from this second reading of this book? Um, not burning my hand like I did the first time I burnt this book. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a, I got a little too emphatic with the lighter fluid the first time I read it and. Uh, the flames spread quickly. So I think I'm yeah, gonna... this is literally the only book I've ever burned, burnt, like physically burnt. Like I finished it, quietly shut it, walked outside to my front yard, threw it in the grill, and lit it on fire. <laughs> That's great. I was like, you know what? I'm just <laughs> there might be a reenactment not, of that. I'm not gonna. <laughs> we you uh, if if everyone stays tuned, we we just might. I think I'm going to, yeah, if we had video, that definitely probably would be how this would end. I think I'm probably just going to put mine (laughs) in one of those uh, little, uh, I forget what they're called, those little library things, though, that you could just stick a book in and somebody, like a kid or somebody, could walk up and get, and then they can go and burn the book. Oh, yeah, the um, take a book, leave a book sort of things. Yeah, those thingies. All that. We do actually have a few of those around here, so. Yeah. We do something like that. Like, hey, you guys have this shitty book. Maybe, maybe I can return it. And it, can you? I don't know. I got it off of Amazon. I don't think you can. Can I be like, hey, I, well, if How it's do in you the tell si- if a book's used? Exactly. It looks like it won't be used. I can uh, 
like, hey, I got this book, and it turns out I, I already own it. And here, take it back. <laughs> okay, because I'm gonna be done with it, but in like a day or two. So I'm just fucking send it back and get my money. Oh no, I feel like that's something you shouldn't be able to do. You just keep getting your money. Like every day, you order like a nice new um, edition of something, read the whole thing, and then just send it back. Like it'd be like a a library where you don't even have to leave your house. It'd be nice. Yeah. Right. That seems like a lot of work, though. I mean, I guess if you don't have anything else, are you oh, motherfuckers? I just found a catcher in the rye that's only six dollars. It's the mass market paperback. I got the which one did I get? The regular paperback. You fuck faces. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I got the mass market. So you got the cheap one. It looks almost the same oh, yeah. as the one I got. Why does mine cost ten dollars? The rage it builds and builds. Does it smell different? You know what? It kind of smells like phonies. <laughs> it's goddamn phonies. Oh, man. I, I was just going to say, like, it's um, one of the things you can take away from this is the, uh, the, the cover art hasn't changed in, what is it, 70 years now? I do like so the cover art. That's interesting. Isn't it like a weird like, horse? Yeah, it's a carousel horse. There you go. And it finally makes sense at the end. It's like, goddamn. Does he get a hooker on a carousel or something? All the hookers on all the carousels. No the way. horse is just, it, it's an allegory. <laughs> <laughs> when you when you ride the horse on the pole, what he's really saying, hit them bitches. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm, I'm really regretting this, uh, this choice of IRC. We should have had a reading challenge that was <laughs> anything else, probably. He's like, I was at least thinking this, like the, the <laughs> angst and stuff, we could make fun of a good deal. But the way it's going, I just, I just kind of feel angry. Like I don't like it. It's stupid. That's that's exactly like when I started reading this. Um, I read it back in 2016, and I remember because I was standing in line to go vote. It was like voting day for you know the big presidential election, and I was standing in line to vote, and I was like, man, this line's huge. I'm glad I brought a book with me. And so I start reading, and the closer I get to like actually getting to the booth to vote, the angrier I'm getting <laughs> as I'm reading this book. <laughs> so eventually they're like, where's your ID, and here's your voting thing. I'm like, thanks. God damn it. <laughs> God damn phonies. All of you are phonies. Phonies. <laughs> <laughs> this entire election's a phony. Um, that reminds me of the uh, South Park episode with the Scrody McBooger balls where they read Catcher in the Rye, and it was so boring and awful that they had to write their own book, and then the public viewed it the same way they viewed Catcher in the Rye, that it had all this deep meaning yes. that it doesn't have. And they, got, yes. they got really angry. <laughs> Scrody McBoogerballs. Oh, my gosh. All right, let's uh, let's uh, take this back to 1951 to 1960. Um, I'm not sure exactly when this book really took off, but it was around that time period. Um, mm -hmm. We'll give it... 25 year period where it was super popular be you know nice to it in that what the fuck was going on in okay post-world war ii we're kind of the leave it to beaver stage of the american life so you had a bunch of yeah. honkies working in factories and living in nice houses i guess i don't fucking know <laughs> and then uh yeah. i i guess uh Woodstock this was, came after that well, yeah that was in the 60s but i, I would say the reason yeah. why this book was popular was because at the time everyone 
kind of was fake, like that Leave it to Beaver life. So you had a bunch of people who, whether they were actually happy or not to be debated, but they, you know, kind of exuded this faux happiness and this is how your life should be. It should be happy married couples and have kids and, you know, just work every day. So this was like the counterculture of that, I guess, when this came out. People were like, well, that's not how I feel. I don't want that kind of life. And that's the only reason I could think this would really take off is a bunch of young punks bunch of greaser kids wanted to rebel against society at the time yeah that's that's actually a good point i, I didn't really think about that but it, it is in that time it would definitely be a counterculture uh emblem and a lot of those kids that probably read it and were feeling that same way like everyone around me is fake and all this stuff well if you go from the time period so we have the counterculture and then once we hit the 60s and that culture takes off and now you're dealing with actual counterculture, you're dealing with the drug generation, the crazy music, um, you know, like the Woodstock generation. I feel like the catcher in the rye wouldn't be very meaningful after that. Yeah, I, I, I totally I, I can sympathize with that. But I also think that maybe catcher in the rye would have been like almost like the Bible that those that entered into the 60s. So all the, the free love and, you know, free drugs and everything like that, the Woodstock generation, they would have held that one really close as almost like a religious relic. Right. So I, I think it was probably really important to them. And But then we also see that they were the ones that founded Apple and Google. and <laughs> They became the phonies. They rebelled against yeah, so they hard. The they are Holden Caulfield, man. Yeah. Does he turn into a phony? I can see it. I don't know. It only takes place over like two days. Yeah. Well, if we look at, the, again, the time period, so he was 16, and it's supposed to represent the 50s, I would imagine, maybe the 40s, um, post-World War II. So, yeah, he would come in age uh, early 60s until to the 70s. So I could see like him either going like the Woodstock generation or just becoming one of the phonies. If we go around that same time period, we had your Jack Kerouac's, I would feel like that was a better version of like what catcher of the rye was trying to be. Cause that wasn't so much about the phonies and rebelling. That was, that was about how like the road and Dharma bombs was actually about how people on the other side of the tracks were living like the, the hippies and the beatniks and the bums. And then, yeah. and then you can go into uh, the English version, which would be like a clockwork orange. I think that when did that come out sixties or seventies, I don't remember. 70s, I believe. I don't know off the top of my head, yeah. And then, you know, that novel was all about uh, more of a dystopian type of future where everybody was violent and the youth, they're rebelling against society. But then the end of that novel, the guy who is, you know, the, the ringleader of his gang of marauders, he ends up going and going back to Catcher in the Rye, becoming one of the phonies. He decides, ah, I'm just going to be a regular bloke and not murder and rape anymore so i guess yeah like at the end of all these no i mean this novel if it's only taken day, uh, place in two days you can't really have like an actual ending but if you went with holden caulfield's timeline when he was an adult and stuff it'd probably end the same way most of these novels end with the protagonist deciding to just kind of live out a normal existence and uh yeah so that kind of goes along with this being a period piece i'm trying to think what? who else would have been uh uh, like a more of a period writer, like uh, after the 50s, you go with like Fitzgerald and the lost generation people and stuff, but yeah. just going with who maybe like a Hunter S. Thompson, he was kind of like the 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 drug uh, generation. I, I don't know, that was that was more like 80s, early 90s, wasn't it? 
Because I know, um, like you mentioned Kerouac, and that made me think of uh, William S. Burroughs and Naked Lunch. Right. Um, so, and that's that's one that uh, I mean, his books don't actually have a good thing. It's like, hey, we're all doing drugs, and all these horrible, weird things are happening, and people are dying of overdose, and we're trying to get off it, but then we decided there's no point, so we get back on drugs, and right. Like at the end of Naked Lunch, she's just like, okay, now I'm going to South America because they say there's some like psychedelic down there that's going to be awesome. And, you know, mm-hmm. might as well. I was like, wow, I feel kind of shitty reading this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I just looked up Fear and Loathing. That came out in 71. So that was about the 60s generation. Oh, okay. Well, what that, that novel was actually about was the, the, end, the coming of the end to the 60s. Uh, he has that great quote about like riding the crest of the wave, and um, it's pretty yeah. much how the '60s ended, and it went into. After that, he goes into politics and a bunch of dumb shit, and he uh, he was not a phony one Hunter S. Thompson, by the way. <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> if you're no, looking I'm, for a real Holden Caulfield, that that would be the actual guy, probably. That that's oh the not whiny bitch. He's actually living the life that he talks about. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if you'd say living, but he's, he's with all the drugs and stuff. He must have just preserved his body into some sort of natural rhythm that he <laughs> kept living for like decades after he had actually died. He yeah. he lived only because he had a drug routine. If any, yeah. like if he broke that routine in any direction, took a little more coke here, took a little more acid here, he might have went off kilter and his chemical imbalance would have killed him. But somehow he like just kept it right somehow. I don't know how he built up to that. But uh, sadly, that was a great writer who I would say actually eventually suffered because of the drugs. He, uh, oh, yeah. Because he could have accomplished a lot more because he was a really, really uh, good writer, but... You know, the drugs, he, he liked that more. And guns, yeah. like just going out shooting his neighbor and stuff. Yeah. He, I mean, he was, he's kind of like, um, you know, how like Kafka unintentionally invented like almost his own genre. Same thing with Lovecraft. It's like Hunter S. Thompson invented uh, gonzo journalism. Yeah. It's just like, he didn't mean to. He was just trying to be as honest as possible, which I guess... You know, big circle back around to, to Catcher, but I guess, you know, Salinger's just trying to be as honest as possible um, I in his writing. I, I just looked up um, some of his bio, and, like, if you look up his wiki, um, at the very top it says, like, he, he absolutely abhorred the, the fame and the clamor that he got after Catcher came out. So he so wasn't he, really going out to be a famous writer. He was just writing something that he felt should have been written or needed to be written. Yeah, he was just uh, he was just writing, and as soon as like that gained steam, he wrote those few other books and stories. But after that, I guess he kept all his writings to himself, and he was involved in a bunch of like legal battles and everything like that. So he's like yeah. he's like the uh, the the antithesis of uh, Stephen King at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so- <laughs> that was like- that would suck to come out with a one huge major genre changing or period changing uh novel and then you get pigeonholed into that's what you wrote and that's what you're going to be known for and anything you do after that people might not care um yeah because you brought up hemingway earlier with old man the sea but at least that was like one of his last things he wrote yeah so he had a whole bunch of he had movies based off uh his novels previously granted they weren't the best but at least you know he was he was 
worldwide known and famous before he wrote Old Man in the Sea. But if you start off, you know, hit it out the ballpark immediately, sometimes you don't have anywhere else to go but down. It's hard to, like one hit wonders pretty much in music. It's hard to match that initial success. And some guys, they chase it. Some guys, they go the opposite. Like, sounds like J.D. Salinger might have been. They hated it and didn't want to be that famous. And then they spent their life uh, trying to go get away from that. And what's what's interesting, um, going back to The Lost Generation, is, like, we all love uh, Fitzgerald and The Great Gatsby. And we're just like, this is an iconic piece of American literature. And it's like, he got, everyone hated it when it came out. It wasn't so he's popular like, at all most revered for his like his most loathed work at yeah. the time it's like my gosh it's so strange yeah that, that was a weird one how that came about because he was uh he's one of those kind of like a kafka well kafka he didn't want to he didn't really put his work out uh more like hp lovecraft where he was kind of penniless like he wasn't doing well he, he tried to become like a screenwriter in hollywood and that didn't work out for him I don't know. A lot of those guys, especially back then, writing didn't bring in a lot of money unless you got really famous. And there was yeah. other than like maybe Hemingway and uh, probably Hemingway. Who else can you think of at the time that was really famous off and made a living off their writing, like a good living where they're rich? Well, I, I, you have to look at it in terms of like what we think of fame as now is like longevity. So Hemingway is. Yeah. Per- you know, he, he's gone on at the time. Uh, Thomas Wolf, uh, was, uh, he was super the talk famous. of the town. Yeah. Oh my gosh. He was like insanely popular, had just all the monies coming in. Um, and then, you know, he died of that, like brain aneurysm came out of nowhere. So I, I don't, I don't know. Like, um, it's so rare that I, I think before Stephen King and even now after JK Rowling, that writers become these super celebrities with the exception of like Charles Dickens. Yeah. Uh, he's the only one I can really think of that just like was this huge cultural pop star icon. Mark Twain would be the American version. Mark Twain. Yeah. He's, he was a badass. Yeah. Samuel Clemens. Um, yeah. Because even at Allan Poe, while he was famous and was the first American to make a living from writing, he wasn't really well off. He was, he had to write for newspapers and he struggled. And when the Raven came out, he was real popular after that. But you wouldn't say he was as famous as a Mark Twain at the time or a Stephen King. Like he wasn't on that level until after he died. Like sadly, most authors, which honestly for me, I don't know if I'd be too upset with that. I don't want to be famous. I just want to be able to buy a nice house and be able to write all day. Like that would be cool. Yeah. Oh, well, the problem with Poe as well is he made a lot of enemies. So like, well, yeah, he's critiquing everybody and being a real asshat. <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, your your writings over here are just like complete and utter horseshit. Well, Lovecraft did the exact same thing. He always wrote to magazines just shitting on the story, like the authors of the stories in the pulp magazines. Yeah. <laughs> and his critiques were always way better and uh, better written than the actual stories he was critiquing. So everybody, uh, I don't know if you ever looked those up. They're hilarious. There was um, kind of battles back and forth about the fans of the magazines end up sending letters to, uh, and you have to be really pissed off to send somebody a letter that's going to take like a month back then like to, for them to get and respond to. But the, like, the fans of the magazines would write letters to H.P. Lovecraft about how, you know, hey, why don't you read another dictionary, buddy? Read another thesaurus. And they're just back and forth. It was, it was funny. It was a good time. If you ever get a chance to check those out, we should uh, actually probably do an episode on those alone. 
Dude, yeah, there needs to be another modern, like very modern, very public uh, rider feud. That's what we need. Like we've had, there, there have been some in recent years, but nothing that's just like gigantic and blows up and people are like, oh shit, did you read this? Yeah, I can't really think of any modern writing feuds that were, I mean, you had Stephen King and uh, was it Tom Clancy? I thought it was Patterson. He likes Clancy. It's Patterson. That, no, I don't. I know he doesn't really like Patterson, but I didn't think that was who he had a, a like a major literary beef with. I forget. It was. It was a well. It was one of those uh, guys that are like a modern day pulp writer. Like they just write fucking these shit books that come out every week and land in gas stations and convenience stores. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's really not any modern writers that go back and forth too much. At least in a way that's entertaining. It's usually just shitty political stuff. Yeah, it's it's got to be an attack on like the work and what they view writing to be. Like I don't I don't give a shit about Stephen King and Stephanie Meyer, but I don't think Stephanie Meyer ever went really at Stephen King because how could she? Like that's too one sided. It's also you have to you have to consider if they're like you know the the person that does the insulting if they're being responded to because a lot of writers shit on other writers. You know, like yeah, hey, your writing just fucking sucks over here. But uh, there, there's not a lot of, like, reciprocation, really. It's because people are being too polite. It's like, yeah. I don't want polite in my writers, man. I want, like, hellions. I want, ah. Well, I don't I know how all- you feel on the topic on a personal level. But honestly, as long as they're just shitting on my writing and not me as an actual person, I welcome that. Like, if I, oh, yeah. you know, if I could put out work and another writer comes on, you know, comes along, it's like, ah, because that brings out the competitive. I think we talked offline about this before, about how we're both kind of have that competitive nature. We kind of want to spar with our fellow writers. We don't want to be friends with every single writer. We don't oh, want to yeah. do the whole writers uplift thing. Something like, I want to be better than a lot of people. I, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to see anybody fail and have misery and not see their dreams come true. But at the same time, I want to kick your ass. <laughs> like, if you're writing the same genre or same type of story I am, I want mine to blow yours out of the water. I want people to go, yeah. oh, his work is superior to that fucking guy. That guy sucked. Like, that's what that's what I want to yeah. do. Uh, yeah, you you want camps. You want, you know, corners of the ring. You people, like, having your uh, – like, I, I totally agree. Yeah, I, I, I want to be rivals with other writers, yourself included. Like, I want to – I want to be rivals. I want to try to always better myself because if I'm like buddy, buddy, you know, going back to the 60s, super hippie friends with everyone, free love. You both stay on the same plane and neither of you will really grow as a writer probably. Yeah, it's like, you know, survival of the fittest. We're all going to do better if we have to struggle to to get ahead. If everyone's like cushy and happy, it's like, no, you're going to have subpar writing. You got to fight for it, man. The problem with a lot of modern writers is they, for some reason, think that even if it's, you know, just critiquing their work or something, they always think of it as either a personal attack or some kind of malicious intent when it's not necessarily that. Like, I've critiqued writers' work before, and I don't do it in a mean way. I just tell them, hey, you know, maybe change this up or different things. And a lot of, like, they'll just block me or, you know, um, get really, really defensive about it. And you, you've experienced this in certain groups oh, yeah. we've been a part of. It's like, come on. Like, grow up. I'm, like, I'm not... I'm not here to coddle you. If you ask me to read your work and give you honest feedback, that's what I'm going to do. I'm not yeah. going to, you know, wipe your ass and tell you, oh, this is for good. Yeah, I mean, maybe if you just change this little thing, but no, you know what? You don't even have to do that. It's wonderful. Don't. That's fucking dog shit. <laughs> it's, 
Yeah, it's like I—I I mean, we can we can go back to the freaking JD Salinger with this thing. Don't really like the catcher in the ride. Doesn't mean I hate him as a dude. Yeah, like I I, re, I can read his biography on Wiki with the very small amount that is about him, and it's like, dude was a like OG man. He was freaking sweet. He was awesome. I'm sure I would have loved him in real life. Doesn't mean I have to like his writing. So it's like you can separate the art from the artist, man. There's a there's a quite a few authors who I don't really care for their work so much, but as a what you what I know about the author, I you know seem like I, like you said you with J D. Salinger, yeah, you know, he seemed like a sweet dude. I kind of like him, like a Hemingway. He seemed like a cool ass dude. I don't really care for most of his work, but I would like to hang out with that guy. You know, if I go back in time, like he seemed like he would be would be a fun hangout. Um, here's a question. That I uh, proposed to Spencer on the last episode that we recorded. It's not out yet. It'll be out Tuesday. But I think you'll uh, enjoy this too. Who goes on your Mount Rushmore of American authors? What I judged this, what the criteria was, it wasn't just about the work. It wasn't just about how famous the author was. It like The main thing is the cultural impact that the author yeah. had. Like what I, my top four, uh, I went with Mark Twain. And again, this isn't even necessarily authors who I've read a lot of their work. I mean, I think for most of these guys I've have I have, but that's that doesn't have to be a main factor in there. But I went with Mark Twain cuz uh, you know, we already talked about him and how he changed the landscape. Edgar Allan Poe for the same reason. Um, I went with Stephen King because while literary snobs might not want to include him in, you know, such a prestigious prestigious list, you can't deny the man has changed and shaped the culture of literature. You just can't. And then sure. four, which was my toss up, it was kind of because there's a lot of guys on this list that could have went either way, but I went with um, John Steinbeck. Okay, all right. Well, uh, yeah, I would. I would um, I'm going to go with Twain on that one, which I thought it was awesome that we were both reading uh, Tom Sawyer uh, before this. Um, which, by the I, way, was really good. And then I go into Catcher in the Rye, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> oh, what a what a downgrade. So like as soon as you brought up uh, Catcher in the Rye as I was reading Tom Sawyer and I was like, oh, man, now I can't help but think how much better of a story Tom Sawyer is like yeah. a coming of age tale. It's oh, like a, yeah, it was so much better because <laughs> like, young kid growing dude, up is just way, way better version. And he's like witty and he, and the characters are funny. You got Aunt Polly over there being a hypochondriac. It's awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd definitely... I uh, have Twain. I'm trying to go back before that. I would say, and we're talking about cultural implications. That's a big one. Well, uh, what Spencer ended up going with, he, I think he had uh, Twain, Poe, and I think his his oddball was Asimov. I, I believe it was either him or because there, you could. There's Ray Bradbury, which was on my on the cusp of my list. There, there was uh, Philip K. Dick was another one but these guys are genre writers for the most part so it's kind of hard to like where you know where they fall i felt like those guys were just under my line um yeah. and then who, who was the other one because i couldn't go hemingway because i feel like he didn't have enough of an impact he had an impact on literature but beyond that he didn't seem to have a like you think of john steinbeck you know grapes of wrath and then east of eden a mice and men like these are things that are still people want to make movies and talk about and read so yeah, um, um, it's hard for me not to put him on the list. I'm trying to 
because we, we we really broke it down with all the from genre writers to even like your H.P. Lovecraft pulp writers or Robert E. Howard. And there's like just what the cultural impact seemed like to be the main way to go and the yeah. as well as the body of work. I didn't go with people who are mainly known as uh, known for poetry. So I excluded Langston Hughes and Maya Angelou. Okay. But I mean, if that's what you go with, you can go with that. That's that's fine. It's just um and then also like a Richard Wright or Ralph Ellison, I couldn't because they didn't have enough work out. Yeah. Or even like a Fitzgerald, I couldn't put him on there just because like you had the great Gatsby and then everything else isn't really well known. Well, I'd, I would, uh, I would say, okay. So going back to it, I'd do Twain and I'm trying, I'm, as I'm doing this, I'm having to like throw out English authors and yeah, Russian. that was a tough one for I'm me like, too. Oh man. Like I'm going to have to know these people's background. Um, I will do Poe just because he was a multi-genre author. Um, I mean, and, he pretty much invented the modern mystery story, so yeah, that's kind of hard to ignore modern that. Mystery, helped uh, solidify science fiction. I know uh, Mary Shelley, like, uh, what was it, 80, 60 to 80 years prior, uh, wrote uh, the modern Prometheus or Frankenstein. Frankenstein. So, yeah, she was <laughs> goal. They told me it was equal. <laughs> um, so I'm going to go with Edgar Allan Poe and Mark Twain. So that hits up my 1800s right there. Um, I will go with F. Scott Fitzgerald uh, just because of how um, it's still culturally relevant today. And you can look at uh, This Side of Paradise, The Beautiful and the Damned, uh, The Last Tycoon, which I know he didn't finish. But um, you can look at those and... Uh, especially Great Gatsby, there people are still they they want to make movies about this like every generation. It's a talking point. It kind of iconicizes uh, times of uh, just like immense wealth and prosperity, kind of like what we're experiencing now, where there's it's a very prosperous economic time. I realize not for everyone, but it's still one of those things where there's there's class division between the poor and the rich. The rich are very celebratory and everything like that, and then. I didn't think of him until you mentioned him, but I will go Philip K. Dick just because of how he's inspired pop culture. Mm-hmm. Because you, you can look at Blade Runner, which is based on Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, which is one of my all-time favorite books. Um, a Scanner Darkly is amazing. That was made into a movie. So many of his stories and books are made into culturally relevant movies and media today that it's like you may not know the person, uh, behind the original story, but his stories are still impacting. So it's like if it can, if Blade Runner made back, it was made in the eighties, right? Yeah, I believe it was made in the eighties. Um, if that can still be held in such high regard here, in you know now two thousand twenty, it's like that that has some power. And if you read the original story, you're just like, holy crap, man, this guy's like ahead of his time. And you know that meth mu- that he was hooked on must have done something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, it was really hard for me to leave him off and Fitzgerald because like you said, Fitzgerald, the Great Gatsby, they, they still make movies on. You know, they just had one in the two thousand two thousand tens, I believe. It's it's really hard to deny that, but it, I mean, I couldn't really leave Steinbeck off. But that's also a personal preference because I just always I don't think yeah. I've ever read a Steinbeck story I didn't like. Yeah, got a fanboy over here, fanboy, fanboy. Hold on a second, there's some popped up on the screen. I can't see you anymore. No, that's probably a good thing. I haven't shaved. It just clicks back and you're butt naked. I'm like, oh, God. Oh, if the Why fuck it came back. On your dick? Hold on, I'll pop back up. 
right. It, it literally oh, covers right. the whole. It, the only thing it covers is just the whole. Oh my! I'm gonna take a picture and send it to you. This is fucking pissing me off. It keeps popping up. Oh wait, now, now it went away. Uh, I don't know if I believe you. Picks or it didn't happen. Shit. <laughs> Uh, you know right. what's interesting about The Catcher in the Rye? If you buy the book, it doesn't have a synopsis. I know. That's what I was saying. There's no synopsis on the back of the stupid book. You look up the fucking book and it's hard to find the synopsis. Like on Amazon, it was just uh, praising the author in the book. Um, I didn't look on Goodreads, but everywhere else I see it, I couldn't find the damn plot. Yeah, it's it's super – it's like if this is such an important book, why isn't there – and then you realize, oh, it's not really a plot. It's like a – a narrative, really. It, it should be under, like, narrative literature. Angst-riddled nonsense. <laughs> My chemical romance. Well, what makes me most upset is knowing how many books we could have been reading. Oh, you know what? I was going to wait till the next, you know, the actual episode where we talk about the fucking book. <laughs> like, the, the actual <laughs> breakdown of the book. But... There's one thing that I will say about J.D. Salinger's style, and I don't know if it's just in this book or if he this is how he wrote, but the, the wouldn't of and the couldn't of and all his fucking contractions, like he just adds, like instead of, you know, could have not, it's couldn't and it couldn't not. Like it's just, I don't, I've never seen anybody else do that. His, uh, his use of odd vernacular. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's special. It's, uh, I can't say that it, that, that part didn't really catch me off guard too much. Cause I've actually, uh, you know, admittedly written some stuff like that. If somebody is in, uh, like in American Midwest and everything, well, if it's in the dialogue or, well, yeah. I guess if this is from the Holden Caulfield's perspective, I guess if he's the narrator, that makes sense, but I don't know. I, just, I didn't really find it like super annoying. I just thought it was weird, like a weird choice. It wasn't, um. Yeah. It didn't irritate me like Cormac McCarthy with his fucking no apostrophe oh bullshit. God. Oh my god, I hate his style so much. Why did he so angry? Just okay, I could get some of the stylistic choices he has, but why no commas? And more specifically, why no apostrophes? Like, don't. Why wouldn't you have the apostrophe? What does that do? Like, what does that add to the story? Nothing. It's and, laziness. And, and, yeah, it's broken just, fucking typewriter. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I remember you texting me, and I was like, "Maybe his typewriter was broken. I don't know." It's like freaking a. I've never seen Who a knows? writer purposely do that and have a book become that popular off of that style of writing. That is a weird choice too. That's a that stupid v- choice. That was Vigo Mortensen popular too. That's that's a yeah. big pop. I tried to watch that movie last week or whenever I fucking finished that book, but I, you couldn't rent it on on demand. I just had to buy it. I don't want to buy it so. <laughs> I'm kind of mad about the book. Oh, that is vile. Sorry, not the the book or the movie. It's just a shot I took. Yeah, I don't know what you're oh. drinking. It looked kind of gross. It was like some kind of orange liquid. Yeah, it's it's uh, just Sailor Jerry. I bought like five airplanes before I got here. Oh. Yeah, that goes down smooth. Oh my god, smooth. Oh, it's like ninety grain sandpaper right there. Well, you can't see all the booze that I have on my table right now, but it's a ridiculous amount. And uh, Did you say booze or boobs? Both. <laughs> you know what I do have that you'll like? Yes. John Cena. 
Folks at home know about the John Cena lunch. If you follow us on Instagram, you know about John Cena lunchbox. Heck yeah. I think. I assume I put it on there. I don't fucking know. I don't know what I do with social media anymore. I don't do much of anything other than try to piss people off. Yeah, I I get irritated about that. Anyway, (laughs) folks, if you want to join in on the complaining, go ahead and send us your angst-riddled emails to drunkenpenwriting.com. We're on the old Gmail, and you can find our contact information on there. You can go to Twitter, at DrunkPenWriting, where you can send us nudes or whatever you want. I don't really care. Somebody will look at it. I'm expensive to look at it. He can sift through those. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then Instagram and Facebook as DrunkenPenWriting. So, I hope you guys are ready for this journey. I don't know how many episodes we're going to do of this, because we might want to finish this book as quickly as possible. <laughs> One. (laughs) Like I said, I'll probably be done with this book by Tuesday. And that only comes to how many times I can read it without falling asleep. So future episodes that we record on this, the book will be finished. We'll just be talking about what we read. Maybe do like the first 80 pages, the second 80, and then the end. Maybe it'll be three parts. I don't know. We'll see. But we'll check you later, you goddamn mother... No, he doesn't say the fucking word, does he? I haven't come across it yet. You phonies. Just phonies. Phonies. You goddamn phonies. Bully. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> <clears throat>